Hello and welcome to a brand new series of podcasts from Seven Vineyard that we're calling Encounters with God. It's a bit of a big title, isn't it? I really like I really like the ambition that we've put into the title, Encounters with God. Uh, I'm joined by Dan Green. Hello, Ben. Nice to see you. I'm sorry if that feels like a bit of a letdown <laughs> after the uh, uh, after what we set you up for in the beginning. But uh, no, hi Dan. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Ben. I'm very well. And yes, I'm just processing that expectancy to encounter God with being the guest on this episode, <laughs> chatting with you this afternoon as I drink my coffee and eat my chocolate cake. But hey, let's see what happens. Yeah, I Dan. I feel very good that you're here. So, so that's that's a, that's a good start. And thank you. You've had a role in deciding that we do this encounters with God thing at church. And so, what what is it, and and why are we doing it? Yeah. So it's a series of talks uh, that we're going to be doing throughout the summer, and uh, it's focused on different characters in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look at a different character each week. And different people from Seven and a couple of guest speakers are going to be sharing about hopefully one of their favorite Old Testament characters. That's kind of the brief we've got given them. And the reason for that, rather than just kind of following a chronological series uh, or a particular book, is that we want to hear in a sense where people have encountered God in the Old Testament, where people have come across a story or a person that has spoken to them or touched them personally, um, that's what we want to be getting at. And that's why I guess we went for the title Encounters with God. It's, it, we're looking at how people experience God and then what we can learn from that in how we experience God in our day and age as well. That's the hope. Very good. Okay. I imagine people will come at this from lots of different angles. I say people. I mean, I'm pretty sure our speakers will come at it from different angles because we've got different people speaking who don't always do a lot of talks. I've, yeah. I've been invited to do one. Looking forward to that one already, Ben. Can't wait. Um, it, it'll be later. I've got time to prepare. And there are other people coming from different angles. And I know that everyone listening as well will have a different sort of view about what the Old Testament is or how relevant it is or or how even which bits to believe or and which bits to kind of push off to the margins and say, well, maybe we don't do that anymore or maybe that was you know for then and not now. I'm wondering what people can expect as you as you mentioned sort of sort of applying it to life today. How do we approach that? How do we approach which bits to kind of literally apply and go, oh, look, it says here, let's do this thing and uh, or how and how and how do we kind of go, Oh, that's what it said to them, but mm. but it's not going to be for us. That's a huge question. I'm sorry, that, that was a surprise. Is a huge, huge question. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um, well, I think maybe it's important to say what not to expect, which is not to expect uh, kind of a clear presentation on what is definitely literal, what is definitely true, what mm. is definitely fact. Uh, uh, my hope is that it would start some more conversation and some more thinking around those questions. And actually, I think my experience of that is that it's a constant reevaluation, at least in life so far, a mm. constant reevaluation. Um, because I think all of us uh, kind of live by that was then, but this is now 
in one way or the other. So there, mm. you know, there is there are lots of things in the Old Testament, particularly that we'd look at and be like, okay, that must be specifically for that context. I can't imagine yeah. God giving that instruction to us today, or it must have been, you know, specifically because of a particular circumstance that he said that, or they thought he said that. Uh, so I think we all do that. And we but do I, that with life generally. You know, we yeah. watch TV from the 1970s or 80s. If you go, you know, well, I'm, I'm just looking at a, a, a video recorder that I've set up to plug into my computer to go mm. through some old videotapes so we can chuck them out. So I'm thinking, oh, but there might be something interesting on them. And it turns out it's all rubbish from the 90s. <laughs> but because some of it's like really entertaining rubbish. And actually the best bits... The things that I'm finding most interesting are not the bits that I recorded that I can still watch on Netflix, which is kind of most of it, yeah. but the bits that you can't because it was for then and it's not for now. You know, <laughs> things like the way adverts used to be, things like the way live entertainment shows used to be and 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 jokes that were kind of acceptable and funny at the time that they're just like really now mm. <laughs> and, and 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 so if our culture moves that quickly you know we're looking at stuff from 20 30 40 years ago and say well, well that was for then yeah you know, what a challenge it is to look at something that was thousands of years ago and and carry this idea that well this must somehow apply to me in my life today this must be about me and what i'm doing tomorrow you know whoa and yet isn't it funny how we do make those connections um, yeah, 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 and I think I think that's the thing of trying to uh, hold on to or believe that there is a link between people's lives then and now, mm. and there are things we can learn from them. I mean, hopefully, yeah, uh, you know, as as I just went through the story of Ruth uh, in my talk, you know, I certainly felt, and I hope others did, that there's things we can learn from those characters. Clearly. But that's also not saying that there is always a simple or linear link with life today. Mm. And so let's talk about that. And let's talk about that in the context of community and relationship where, you know, if we maybe disagree on how to interpret mm. some of these things that will come up in the series, well, let's not lose relationship over it. And let's mm. have conversations, multiple conversations and be okay with seeing things differently. And, you know, some of them are like important issues, aren't they? We can't mm. just dismiss them and say mm. um, they, they don't really matter. We agree on all the important things because I think for some of them, and especially when it gets personal, it's important. So yes. I just hope that we can be a church community where those kind of conversations can go on. Yes. Now I'm struck by how many of the stories that came up and actually particularly in Ruth specifically we're looking at issues that, that 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 story touches on that we feel are still important today that maybe there's something in that story that could shape how we think about those things or even how we make decisions where is the story of ruth crossed over with your experience and you know has it made a difference to you mm, yeah i think um th there's several areas of the story which I feel like really strike a chord with my life. And um, I think that's partly why I chose the story, why mm. it's one of my favourites. Um, but also, it, it was fantastic yesterday just to 
just to go through the story because the story kind of speaks for itself. You know, it's one of those quite self-contained little nuggets tucked away in the Old Testament. But I think, um, you know, the first thing really is the way that God was orchestrating events in the story of Ruth, kind of behind the scenes and in a way that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, who are the main characters of the story, would only really have been able to see in hindsight. They'd only been able to look back and say, you know, Ruth happened to pick barley in the field of Boaz, who just happened to be a relative of Naomi. And that's a key, that was a key factor in what then happens in the story with him marrying Ruth and redeeming the family of widows, because Ruth and Naomi were both widows, and leading to this beautiful kind of restoration at the end of the story, and then even beyond their deaths, what God was doing in the bigger picture of Ruth being, you know, the the great-grandmother of David, and then David being the line from which, of course, Jesus came. So we can look back on all that and say, beautiful, incredible, you know, what God was doing. But at the time, it would have just felt like everyday events and everyday struggles. And I take real encouragement from that because I feel like, um, you know, there's quite a lot of my life that feels quite mundane, uh, you know, going into the office again, having another conversation with my wife, Karen, about our schedule, um, taking the recycling out, you know, these kind of things. You just, you can feel like you're on a treadmill. Yeah. And uh, it can be quite hard to see where God is in that sometimes. And actually just reading the story of Ruth again, it's almost like it just restored a bit of that knowing and Mm. trust that the everyday and the mundane is okay Mm. because God is at work in the background. And every now and then we get to see a little glimpse of that. And, you know, if I look back at a previous season in life, like the time that Karen and I spent in the Middle East, we were in Jordan for seven years and in Lebanon. And for a lot of that time, we were just muddling along, trying to, um, you know, work out what our purpose was, trying to bring together a few different ideas we were doing with kind of cultural exchange and interfaith dialogue and things. And, uh, you know, we enjoyed it. But at any given moment, we couldn't probably have told you exactly what was going on or how it was coming together. And then looking back on it, though, I feel like we've been able to clearly see God's hand in some of it. And even in us spending that time learning Arabic and then being able to come back to Bristol and become really involved in the resettlement of Syrian refugees and having a shared language with them. That was one of those moments where like, oh, all that time slogging away in (laughs) Arabic class and not knowing why and why it was such, you know, why it was so difficult. Actually, then you can look back, you're like, ah, somebody knew that this was going to be useful. And that's actually, amazing. That, gives, yeah. that gives great, you know, that's that gives great joy, doesn't it? When you can look back and see that thread. Absolutely. So I can see straight away. I can see some parallels between yeah, why you would relate to the Ruth story, um, or some characters in the Ruth story, because you made a move. You in your in your, in as you as you made that move. I was not entirely for 
you know, famine related reasons, I guess, but, but you made it a move. It wasn't, no. <laughs> fortunately. No, you made a move that, that then you were in the situation where you needed to form relationships and you needed to learn the language and you needed to do lots of, lots of, I guess, you know, how do you learn language as well? It's, it, it's the mundane things. You need to know how to eat and how to ask for things and how to ask for help and all that, all that sort of, all you, you, you're concentrating on doing that really well. And then later on, it turns out that you have this purpose, this thing that you can do with all that knowledge that is bigger than, I guess, you probably set out with. Is that Would that be fair? Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of learning a language is being in a, a, a position or a season where, you know, you're, you're quite vulnerable in a sense. You, you can't communicate. One of the most basic skills we have and you're also dependent on other people. And I think so mm-hmm. I can, you know, as, as Ruth left all that she knew in Moab to follow her mother-in-law back to Bethlehem and Judah, you know, she would have been massively vulnerable, especially as a foreigner, as a widow, and as a Moabite who was kind of one of the enemy. Um, yeah, it, it must have been incredibly difficult to do that. So what, what I'd love to know in the story of Ruth is what caused her to do it. And unfortunately, mm. we're not given that in the story. But there must have been something in Naomi and in her family, or she must have had some kind of encounter with God or experience of God that mm. led her to, you know, she made that famous pledge, like, where you go, I will go. And um, yeah, yeah, it, just this incredible statement of, of loyalty. Yes, and while it wasn't a geographically very long journey, it was a it was a significant divide, wasn't it, between those people? Absolutely, so, so yeah. It, massive it, risk involved. Yeah, out of her comfort zone. Um, yeah, and then you know, I think the other big character in the story, Boaz, is also someone who, in a sense, just treats people the right way and, um, you know, acts honourably. But I didn't even cover this in my talk because there wasn't time. I think the welcoming of the foreigner is the part which I see in him, which I aspire to and -hmm. which I feel like I've even experienced personally. So when we lived in Jordan and we were going through those early days trying to learn language and relating to neighbors and having communication problems and not knowing how systems work and how to get gas into the house to to heat the home and that kind of thing. You're dependent on other people. Um, And actually, we received incredible hospitality from Jordanians who didn't know us, but who could see that we had a need and who took us in, who reached out, who had us round for meals and that kind of thing. Mm. And for me, that's a big motivator in the work that we do with Bridges for Communities, which is the charity that I work for, of I want everybody who's coming to this country, especially from a refugee and migrant background, to have some sense of welcome, to have some sense of someone is even aware that you're here and happy that you're here and willing to be helpful. Mm. So, yeah, I I look at Boaz and I think, well, he he was probably taking a big risk too in allowing Ruth to glean the barley from his field in then agreeing to marry her. You know, there's another guy who turned down that opportunity because Ruth was a Moabite. Um, but Boaz did it. 
and I think you know sometimes hospitality and radical hospitality has a risk and has a cost involved, but Boaz is someone that we can kind of look up to in that regard, uh, and of course that led to the wonderful things that then happened. Absolutely, yes, it is a story that starts very small and very kind of you know oh why are we even hearing about this uh, who are they why are we bothered and 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 even then you have to sort of look back at it later and go oh it would have been a really long time before you work out the historical significance of this particular story that it led to the family of david king david uh and then you know from a christian point of view even more significant it leads to the family of jesus um and like whoa look look at what god's doing on a really big scale here um yeah and on 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 that on that big scale i Mm. think this would be something that hopefully as other people talk about other characters and we you know learn more about the old testament of actually looking for those moments where we can see god's plan was always for all people even Mm. though you know there was a specific people that a lot of these events were happening with and um, you know they had a special place and purpose and yet there are moments like this moment where Ruth uh, kind of comes into is woven into the family tree of Jesus uh, where I think we get a glimpse of what then happens later in the Bible where it becomes clear and evident that that God's kingdom and God's love is for is for all people and it always was mm. Amazing, that's 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 inspirational, and and I love how that that isn't just an idea that you've carried in your head, but you've put that into practice in the charity that you work for. Um, it must be hard sometimes, though, working for a charity that is promoting understanding and welcoming of refugees, where in a culture where not everyone seems very comfortable with that. Some people would rather would rather put up the "we're full" sign. Um, because they believe that, you know, their their life is, or maybe our lives are negatively impacted by by all the effort that we that we're going to there, or, or we just can't fit any more people in. What what has has any of the Bible or any of your the rest of your experience and and thoughts about what God said through the Bible shaped your view on that, and how you, how do you respond to people who say? You know, we we can't deal with refugees. We've got to look after ourselves. I think there's several different uh, approaches that you can take. So if somebody shares the Bible as a common frame of reference, uh, there's the kind of layer or level of, well, God instructs us to care for the foreigner among us. That's all, all the way through the Old Testament. But then there's also uh, Jesus instructing us you know, that the greatest commandment was to love God and love our neighbor. And almost that kind of golden rule of how would you like to be treated? Mm. Put yourself in another person's shoes. Mm. Uh, That principle of, well, if I was a refugee, if I had had to flee my home because of war and persecution, I would hope that someone would show me welcome. I would hope that someone would give me a chance. Mm. I would hope that someone wouldn't close, you know, their border to me. Um, So that's almost just on a human level. But, uh, of course, the Bible speaks to that. And then the other thing is, you know, getting to know somebody. That always makes a massive difference. 
So we can talk about these things th theoretically. We can talk about them politically. I try not to get too much into the question of how many people should be allowed into the UK and how many shouldn't and how do we decide what are the checks. I mean, we have a massively broken asylum system. But for me, for every person that is here, um, I want them to have a connection and a sense of welcome. And I find that the vast majority of people who actually meet someone face to face, it is no longer a theoretical or political issue. It's a person in front of them. And so that kind of that contact, that interaction is what actually changes things. And people yeah. who might have a strong opinion one way or the other um, on immigration or refugee issues, when they actually meet an ordinary person that they can relate to and can see, you know, has challenges in life, most people respond to that on a human level. And I think that's what, that's what our charity is mostly about. And that brings us right back to the sense of, as you say, like the, the, the mundane connectedness that you were talking about. That, that really that really brings people together and and where we can learn from as well isn't it is we we we're, if we once we take things down from the idea of the just the ideas of stuff and and you actually start getting to know someone <laughs> from this culture that you thought in your head you knew about because you see it on saw it on telly um yeah it must change a lot i get i get that it does and i think it changes even with people that you might say are from a similar background to yourself, mm. um, that that thought on mundane connectedness, which was stolen from Steve Nicholson, who spoke at the recent Vineyard Conference, uh, I think that's one that is prompting thoughts and questions in me around what it looks like to be committed to each other, you know, in relationship and community. Uh, I think that's a conversation that we need to be having but where actually to me it's really encouraging uh, Steve saying that some of the most profound transformation he's seen in all the years working with people and with churches happens around the mundane around the unspectacular around mm. people being connected in relationship through the ups and downs of life over time and actually again you can look back it's that gift of hindsight to be able to look back and say, wow, God's hand was at work in this. Yeah. But at the time, we wouldn't have been able to tell you what he was doing. Amazing. So I think there's a few ways we can probably try and maybe put start to put that into practice um, within the family of people listening to this. And you know, I'm thinking about Seven Vineyard. Of course, it might go beyond that. Hello to everyone who doesn't know us. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, hello, Mum, as well, who's off somewhere else. Um, but <laughs> uh, this is the first time in my life I've said hello, Mum, on a podcast. Yeah, hello, sure. Mum. You say you say it in every podcast you do, Ben. <laughs> Can it produce as a jingle for next time? Um, the, um, but the, I'm just thinking of our context and our kind of locally what what we do. I can. I think there's quite a few opportunities to put it into practice and start to build relationships through a bit of mundane connectedness. Not necessarily straight away with refugees uh, or the vulnerable. Though we do 
you know there is there are opportunities for that but I could, you know maybe just serve, come come in and join in the team that shares coffee or says hi on the door <laughs> you know, yeah. if that's mm-hmm. the sort of thing that you like doing or mm. technical things we've got a technical team that can always do a bit of help and 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 people people are needed to do all the mundane boring things that actually make a really really big difference to making a church gathering feel nice and work well um, yeah. there's always opportunities to join in with that and and, and when people do um, so it just doesn't sound like a, a desperate plea for volunteers. What's the benefits for people when, when people volunteer for stuff like that? What what happens? Well, I think some of it is just what happens as you do things together. So yeah. if you're serving on a team together and you see each other once a month, that's kind of how rotors have worked. It, again, it's then a rhythm where you're seeing those people that you serve alongside once a month. You have conversations as you do that. Now, depending on what you're doing together, you may or may not be able to chat very much or uh, kind of deepen that relationship. But it's a it's a rhythm. It's a starting point. And then there's other things you can add onto that. You know, you can meet up for a beer. You can commit to meeting regularly in a triplet. You know, I guess the point is not mm. to kind of go through all of the different ways people can do this as much to say let's be thinking about this let's yeah. you know let's be thinking about what we're committed to um what are the things and who are the people that we're committed to um and how do we demonstrate that you know because it's demonstrated in our actions not our words so i, I yeah. can say to you that i'm really committed to my family but if i opened up my calendar here and showed yeah. it to you you could very reasonably look at it and say, you know, show me how that's true. Does your your diary reflect your commitment to your family? I could tell you I'm committed to my neighbors, but the reality is it's Karen, my wife, who goes down the road and visits Mrs. Clark, who's one of our elderly neighbors. And that's that's what commitment looks like, not me saying that I am. So I think for all of us, it's a discernment thing. It's working out, you know, hopefully in dialogue with God um what we're committed to and it's not to try and put more stuff onto people or make Mm. everyone busier Mm. again and i think we are in that post-covid time where we're all evaluating Mm. our priorities and that's a good thing it is isn't it so it must be about it must be about balance between saying we need commitment we need rhythm we need discipline and we also need work-life balance and we need um to choose our priorities and we can't do everything yes so jack in there in the staff meeting today at seven was saying how there's been some research that fewer people are volunteering for things for church things and i must admit i'm kind of like on the fence about how to react to that because it's like oh no people aren't committing and maybe we won't get so many things done but on the other hand oh people have actually had a re-evaluation of what's important to them and I think that's a brilliant thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, and and um, you know, for us as a as, as a family, uh, we wouldn't want to overcommit ourselves. Uh, we wouldn't want to get into the point where we felt we were like on some holy looking treadmill <laughs> of of church activity without time to get you know to go out and or do other things. And and I think that's, that's a good, good thing. I think that's, that's what I need to thing. do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe this is like a good summary of uh, 
what we're going to learn through the Old Testament of no yeah. easy no easy answers, mm-hmm. but let's be in conversation yeah. and let's try and discern some of this stuff together. Very good. And, and I just love the thought from what, from what you've explored in Ruth, because I'm quite a bit, I can be quite a big picture thinker sometimes. And, mm. and, 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 and I can be guilty of kind of not doing something until it looks like it's going to be really good, really significant or really like a big thing and trying to plan really big things sometimes. Uh, I, just don't, I, don't, I don't do that so much anymore because I think I've seen, I've felt some of the value of that, of like actually you do the little things and then they turn out to be much more significant than you expected later on. You know, doing, exactly. little, doing a few little things faithfully is way more important than, than trying to spend our lives trying to plan one big thing <laughs> that we're going to do that will have, you know, that will sort of revolutionise the world or something. Does that make sense? Does that, does that feel right to you? Totally. Spot on, I think. Yeah, if all of us kind of go away and try to do the little things well, then, you know, we've learned something from... Boaz and Ruth. <laughs> um, and it's not the most glamorous message, is it? Faithfulness and commitment. I, and... I feel it's not one that's going to cut through on Twitter, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I feel it's not right. big or polarising enough <laughs> to get a lot of attention. Yeah, but I, I think this story is one that probably wouldn't have grabbed headlines, would it? And that's, again, one of the reasons I'm drawn to it, because it's kind of a quiet, down-to-earth, but amazing story tucked mm. away in there. Mm. So what an amazing beginning for a series, uh, which we can now hope to be very mundane and and hope, but hopefully very connected. <laughs> that's Absolutely. what we're looking for. We're uh, aiming for mundane connectedness. <laughs> mundane, mundane connected encounters with God. And suddenly that doesn't seem as scary. Suddenly that seems more realistic. That's right. And um, it's not just saying we settle for mundane connectedness Mm. and that we never hope for breakthrough. We never hope for miracles. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just saying that we don't only give attention to those things and Mm. we do look for God's hand in the things that are unspectacular and we see his goodness in the things that are unspectacular. Oh, yes. But we keep asking for the miracles. Oh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And we need some. Uh, <laughs> Especially but, me and you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, but I'm very, very glad that we had a chance to, to chat today. Um, if there's any questions that you've got, send us an email. Uh, our email's in the, in the description. And we'll be carrying, carrying on chatting more about different books. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with uh, Rebecca Kishtani. And we might talk about what she's talking about in her talk. Uh, which is going to be Hannah, um, or we might just talk about other things. Let's see. Let's see what's on their mind. Uh, So come back and join us next week. Thank you for joining us today.